prophet Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's all I need tonight. That's all I need tonight. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. As the... Apollo, appreciate you, man. <laughs> Isaiah 9 and 6, you may be seated for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope. And let my will be lost in thine. Father, will you draw us nearer to you tonight through your word, through your spirit, so that we may behold your precious son in a sacred and honorable manner tonight as we celebrate the life, the death, the burial, the glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Give us fresh perspective and insight as it relates to the identity of your precious son who is our Messiah. Have your way through your word tonight. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. If you're sitting next to somebody on your left and your right, if you don't mind, look at them with a smile, if you don't mind. I hope you, you, you like the person you're sitting by. I know you love them, amen. And so we thank God so much for each and every one of you. Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I want to label tonight's text the best of both worlds. The best of both worlds. Will you say that with me tonight? The best of both worlds. Throughout the Old Testament, God used human messengers to give God's people divine messages that would literally shift the course of the entire nation. Unlike many of the self-proclaimed prophets, real prophets are known for calling God's people out of sin and into a life of submission to the Almighty God. If you notice the prophets of old, the prophets of the Old Testament did not come to prophesy houses and land to God's people. No, in essence, they were really calling God's people out of a life of self-centeredness into a life of submission to the master. The prophets of the Old Testament were also significant because they provided hope in the midst of dark and difficult times as God people anticipated the arrival of Jesus who they would call the Messiah. Brother Grover, Isaiah's prophecy stands out among other prophets because of the length of his message and also because of the unique way in which he spoke about the arrival of Jesus. He is one of what we call the major prophets. Let the church say the major prophets. There's a distinction between these individuals in the Old Testament because the major prophets and the minor prophets does not suggest that the minor prophets are less significant than the major prophets. It simply means that the major prophets had longer messages that they would give to God's people so that God's people would be drawn back to his presence. One day Isaiah was minding his own business and he lost a near and dear individual. Some scholars suggest that it was actually his uncle. It was a king that had been known for great wealth and great prosperity throughout the land. But this king was so prominent and so powerful, Miss Monica, that the people took their eyes off of God and put it on the king. They began to worship this very individual. So God says, I can't compete with anybody, so I got to take him out so the people can look back at me. 
is in Isaiah chapter 6 when it opens up with the call of Isaiah's ministry. He says, in the year King Uzziah died. I wish I had some Bible readers. I also saw the Lord. And when I saw him, Isaiah said that the train of his robe filled the temple. Because the train of a king's robe in that day represented the essence of their majesty and their splendor. Isaiah said this king was not an earthly king. He was not, he was not a physical human king, but he was the king of glory. And when I saw him, he was so powerful and he was so glorious that the robe, that the train of his robe covered the whole temple. And he said, I saw him in all of his holiness. And then Isaiah said, when I saw the king in his holiness, I also saw myself in my sinfulness. For he said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Do y'all read the Bible? And I dwell amongst people with unclean lips. It is then when Isaiah said that he saw seraphs and cherubims as they were crying holy and holy to one another. The one of them took a hot coal off of the altar and brought it down to Isaiah and purged his lips because he's about to be the mouth speak, mouthpiece that would speak to the nation and bring them back to God. That's prophetic ministry. It is speaking truth to power. That Isaiah, like other prophets, were known for calling out the corruption that exists in the political agenda. That Isaiah and others were known for calling out 45, I mean calling out the kings in the Old Testament. Please forgive me. That he would call out those individuals who were misleading the people. Because the word of God says, when the wicked rule, the people are miserable. And so he's calling the people back politically. He's calling the people back spiritually. He's calling the people back, in essence, to be who God had called them to be. And then he spoke about this idea of the Messiah coming. Let the church say the Messiah. That's interesting Hebrew language because when we talk about the Messiah, it simply means the anointed one. It speaks of Jesus and it recognizes the fact that Jesus was and is God's chosen vessel to come and to deliver sinful humanity from the bondage of sin. Isaiah the prophet gave his audience a sneak preview of a coming attraction because he foretold the arrival of Jesus four to five hundred years before Jesus was even physically born. And our text for tonight, verse 6 of chapter 9, you do have your Bible open, right? Your tablet, your smartphone, your not-so-smartphone, you, you do have it open, right? No, notice, notice chapter 6 of verse 9. That is so significant because it literally, Pastor, gives us a snapshot of the identity of Jesus. It's a brief description, but it's loaded with powerful revelation about Jesus, who we call the Messiah or the Anointed One. Here's what the text literally says. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. It's enough in that one line that if we read it right and if we explain it right, we'll leave here praising and worshiping God for who Jesus really is in our lives. Since y'all didn't shout when I read it, I'm going to explain it. <laughs> for unto us I'll give you one more time, one more chance. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Brothers and sisters, it's really two movements to this text tonight. It's only two points, only two things that jump out in this particular passage that, that reveals to us that Jesus really does represent the best of both worlds. Verse 6 reveals that Jesus has two natures that Jesus is the Messiah, and that he is the one that has come to save us of our sin. 
For unto us a child is born. You're going to be thinking about this while you're trying to sleep tonight. Unto us a son is given. First and foremost, this verse, number one, if you're taking notes, it highlights the humanity of Jesus. Let the church say the humanity of Jesus. Look at your Bible again. Notice the text says, for unto us a child is born. This verse uh, affirms that Jesus entered the world through the womb of a woman just like you and I. Although his mother was and always will be the only virgin in history to conceive a child. Everybody say amen. 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 Nobody else can pull that off, so let me see if I can say that again. Although his mama is the only virgin in all of history (laughs) that will conceive a child, it does not negate the fact that Jesus is 100% man. That's powerful and significant because his humanity enables him to identify with my humanity. Let me give you some scripture to back it up. Hebrews chapter 4, ver- chap- uh, chapter 4, verse 15 describes Jesus as our high priest who is able to sympathize with us because Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus knows exactly what we feel and what we face because he voluntarily humbled himself and came down to our level. It's good news to know that Jesus was born into this world, and that means he's well acquainted with my human experience. Somebody ought to think about the fact that Jesus is 100% human in his humanity. He fell asleep at the bottom of a boat in Mark chapter 4. In his humanity, he cried at the grave of his homeboy named Lazarus in John chapter 11. In his humanity, he was emotionally distressed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he thought about what it would take to die for our sins. In his humanity, he voluntarily submitted his life into the hands of evil men who ultimately crucified him on what the hymn writer called an old rugged cross. Jesus is human, so he knows what we face and he can feel what we feel. Here's the good news of it because you hadn't shouted yet. When you get tired, you need to rest assured that Jesus knows what that feels like. When you lose a loved one, he can identify with your grief. When it seems like life has taken a turn for the worse and you're facing moments of distress in your own personal garden of Gethsemane, you can find encouragement in knowing that Jesus went through stuff just like we do. Somebody ought to pause in the middle of the message and give God a fresh praise for the fact that Jesus is not disconnected from us, but he is connected to our human experiences. This is good news tonight if you think about it. So if no one else can share in your struggles, guess what? Jesus can. He's a child that was born, so he's not disconnected from my pain, my suffering, and my hardship. We have a Savior who can identify with our humanity. text says, unto us a child is born. He's a child. He's a human who was born into this world. This verse highlights the humanity of Jesus. But then secondly and finally, Isaiah also says, a son is given. So the text not only implies or highlights the humanity of Jesus, it also declares the divinity of Jesus. Let's just say divinity, uh, divine, to be divine. The word divinity refers to that which is of God. So he's a child that was born. 
but he's a son that's given. Y'all made me drive two hours. I'm going to work overtime, so let me see if I can say it again. He's a child born to us. He's a human. But he's a son given to us. He's God. Notice Isaiah chose his words wisely and succinctly. The child is born, but the son is given. So this is significant, Marco, because Jesus is the son of God and God the son. His his divine nature is so powerful. He's, He's the son of God, but he's God the son. See, see, I got to talk through this theologically because when you get your theology right, right, you can shout off a theology. Look at it again. His divine nature is highlighted in verse 6 because failure to do so would give us an incomplete description of his identity. Remember, the first part of the verse says that he's a child born to us. That's humanity. But his divinity speaks of the fact that he is God. So here's what it's saying in essence. Connect all the dots for us, Reverend Little. Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. I got to help somebody because Jesus is not half God. Are y'all going to help me with my little Sunday school lesson? He's not half God and half man. He's all God and all human all at the same time. He's the best of both worlds. So somebody sitting there says, that sounds real good, sounds like seminary, sounds like good theology. Here's what everybody's trying to figure out. What does it have to do with me? Let me me knock on your door, let me ring your doorbell and come into your living room real quick and tell you why this child that's born and this son that's given is significant for your life. Remember, Jesus knows what it means to be tired. Because I told you he fell asleep at the bottom of a boat during a storm. That's his humanity. But if you keep reading the same story, after he woke up, the Bible says he spoke to the wind and the waves and said, Peace, be still. And the wind and waves obeyed him. That's his divinity. Remember, he cried at the grave of Lazarus when he died. That's his humanity. But after he cried, He walked up to the tomb. I'm going to preach myself happy. And say, Lazarus, come forth. That's because he's God. The same one who was depressed in the garden of Gethsemane is the one who delivers me from depression. He can identify with my struggles because he's human. But he can deliver me from them because he's God. He knows what it feels like to be tired because he's human. But the same one who got tired on a boat is the one that gives me strength when life has hit me with his best shot. He can feel it because he's human. But he can deliver me from it because he's God. He knows what it feels like when you go through storms and trials, when people turn your back on you. You know what? Because he lost his best friend named Peter. In the most critical time of his life, he prays 
and he asked for his inner circle to come and join in with him as he's praying, as he's struggling with this whole idea of going to the cross. Don't you let nobody convince you that Jesus was skipping the Calvary. No, according to the Garden of Gethsemane text, he was depressed. The word said he had large drops of sweat that looked like blood coming from him. And he looks up to the Father and said, Father, if it be possible, find somebody else to do this. That's humanity. But because he's God and he knew that nobody else could do it, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm trying to tell you that you ought to shout off the fact that he's human and God. Can I tell you one more thing? Let me tell you one more thing. Remember, as a human, he voluntarily placed his hands, his life in the hands of evil men who crucified him on a cross. Because he's human. But you know what happened three days after they put him on the tree? I thought y'all were Baptists, I'm sorry. <laughs> as a human, he died on the cross. But on the third day, he got up because he's God. I'm done with the message. Here's what it's all about. I'm trying to get you excited about the fact that Jesus, when you, when you have a relationship with him, you get the best of both worlds. Here's the whole thing, and I'm done. He can feel what I go through because he's human, but he can fix it because he's God. <laughs> Would you bump the person next to you real quick and tell him, did you hear what he just said? He's human so he can feel it. But because he's God, he can fix it. Anybody other me that want to stand and just give God a praise for the fact that he can feel it and fix it? Even when people can't understand, we have a Savior who, who sympathizes with us. He can feel it and then turn around and fix it. And then he's so powerful, Derek, that even if he don't decide to fix it right away, he's so powerful that he'll get in it with you until it's fixed. The Bible says he's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. I wish I had a few people who would say it's December, and I'm glad the year is almost over because I've gone through some stuff this year. But I'm glad that he was feeling some stuff and fixing some stuff all at the same time. You ought to thank him because he can feel it and fix it. Text says he's a child born. He's human. But he's a son given. If you don't remember anything else out of the message, here's what I want you to remember. Jesus is so powerful and so unique. One theologian said there's no other being like him now and forever never will be. Because he can feel my pain and fix my pain. Woo, see, everybody here, yeah, I, I'm, I'm talking to a group of people who haven't been through nothing this year. But if I can testify, I said, I said, he can feel what I go through. And then turn right back around and fix what I go through. Because he's a child that was born to us. But then he's a son given to us. I don't care what you face in the various seasons of life. If nobody else can feel and sympathize with you, 
we have a Savior. Old preacher would say that sits high and look low. He, he's human, so he identifies. But because he's God, he supervises. He's human, so he's, he's looking at me, understanding what I feel. But because he's God, he's ready at any given moment to turn it around for me. You don't ever have to be in a stuck place in your faith. Because nobody will always understand what you feel and what you face. But Jesus does. As a matter of fact, you can remain standing. I'm done. Here's what it says in the scriptures, that he is our high priest. Whoever liveth to make intercessions for us. Let me tell y'all what that really means. Here it is. It literally means that right now, perpetually, the Bible says he's our high priest. Whoever liveth to intercede for us. Here's what that literally means. That right now, while we're in worship, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for you. <laughs> you, you know how you ask people, Chris, will you pray for me? Brother, will you pray for me? Yeah, I got you. I got you. And they forgot about you. You got the best prayer warrior in all of the universe, according to the Bible, that's literally talking to the Father about you. <sighs> according to the Word, right now, Jesus is talking to God on your behalf. I'm going to tell you why this is significant. I expect to go here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You know what the scripture says? Revelation chapter 12 says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren who goes before God to accuse God's people day and night. You missed the picture. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, according to Revelation 12, who goes before God day and night. Now, now, now let me just slip this in real quick. This is not what I'm trying to say. But, but let me slip this in real quick. The Bible says that Satan is talking to God day and night. That's bad when Satan talking to God more than some Christians. Bump the person next to you real quick. Tell them that ain't what he was trying to say. That ain't what the point. That ain't the point. But if Satan is the accuser of the brethren who's, who's accusing God day and night, look at the picture biblically. He's on one side. But then the great high priest who's praying and interceding for us is on the other side. Which is why John says we have an advocate with the Father <laughs> who goes before the Father on my behalf. You ever been in a situation, real quick, you ever been in a situation that you were too weak to pray? And you didn't know what to say. And all you can say is, Lord, have mercy. Did you know that that was a prayer? Because according to Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes our prayers and he edits them and gives them to the Father. See, you think God's going to show up because you said, Father in all of heaven. Thank you for your wonderful splendor. Thank you for the dunamis of your power. Tell somebody next to you, forget all that. Sometimes when you go through Hades, you just got to say, Lord, help a, help a brother out. Help a sister out. And because of the Holy Spirit in us, he knows exactly what we mean. 
Jesus is not in heaven disconnected from your pain. He's right there with you. I'll say this to you before we pray. I heard a person tell the story about a married couple. They had a six-month-old baby. And the wife goes to the husband one day. He's in the living room. And she says, dear, I got I to gotta run to the grocery store. Can you wash the baby? Husband says, sure I can. I'll wash the baby. She goes to the grocery store. But when she gets back, the husband is not sitting in his normal position on the sofa watching the baby. He's in the baby pen. Okay. <laughs> what, what are you doing? You know, grown man, what are you doing in the baby's pen? He's in the baby pen, playing with the baby, comforting the baby, cheering the baby, laughing with the baby. And, 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 and the mother says, dear, what are you doing? He says, babe, she's, she's so used to her playpen that when I kept trying to take her out, she kept crying. She kept crying. So here's what a good father does. He gets in it with you. Because if you'll be real about your faith, there's some stuff that he didn't take you out of. He just got in it with you. Anybody glad that he'll get in it with you? That even if he don't snatch me out, he'll get into my situation and his presence is enough. For unto us, he's a child born. He's human. But he's a son. That's a gift. When you get Jesus, you get the best of both worlds. You got somebody who can feel you and somebody who can fix you. All wrapped up in one. Come on, give God some glory. Come on, everybody standing.